We're going to be in Luke this morning, chapter 17. Page 1628 in your pew Bible. Luke 17, 1 through 10. And I want to start out by just saying that I want to give credit to Reverend Dr. Um, Rick Renner and his book, Sparkling Gems. because that has been very helpful in the formation of this sermon. And so I just want to give credit where credit's due. And um, Ray, did you make those handouts? No, I never got it. Never got it. Okay. All right. Yeah, just um, why don't you run, if, if Ray can run those off, and we'll give those out at the end of the sermon. But there's a couple of prayer helps some prayers that I think might be helpful as we think about um, people who sometimes offend and sometimes people who get offended, and how do we pray about these things. And so um, there's some helps that I hope that you'll take home, put in your Bible, and spend some time with the Lord this week on. And so Luke 17, 1 through 10. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This is the reading of the word of God for today. And um, one of the joys that I have as a minister is spending time studying God's word. I love it. And I know that many of you are um, students of God's word. You love to study God's word. And some of you haven't started into that joy yet as much. And I want to say there is great joy there. It is so fun to discover all the little treasures and all the nuggets of wisdom that are here. 
And when I first read this text, I know you're getting probably tired of me saying I felt like it was a Sudoku puzzle or I was trying to figure it out, but I'm thinking, are these like four little proverbs that are kind of all together, or is this some connected story that Jesus is speaking and teaching us? And I want to say that this book by Rick Renner really helped me see how this was one theme that the Lord was developing. And so let's explore this a little bit. As you'll remember, Jesus is giving discipleship lessons on his way to Jerusalem as he's going to be crucified. So he's on the way to Jerusalem, and there's these discipleship lessons. A couple of weeks ago, we heard about the trap of money and the love of money. It's not wrong to be wealthy, but it can be a trap. Watch out. Last week, we heard about pride and about a beggar who needed comfort, needed his wounds dressed, and the um, rich person was dressed in purple and um, didn't help at all. Dogs were licking that beggar's wounds. He needed his wounds dressed. And the rich man, the wealthy man, was just wrapped up in purple and taking care of himself. And then we heard the eventual outcome, right? The beggar was with Abraham in heaven, and the rich man was in Hades. Well, this week we have another discipleship lesson, and it's about the trap of offense. And so right now I want to tell you what this lesson is about. Watch yourselves against the trap of offense. Offer forgiveness and seek forgiveness as part of a normal Christian life. Right? That's the lesson for today. And so thinking about traps, and I want to invite us to watch this a minute. Just for the animal rights activists, this little video goes on and the little mouse is revived and it's an advertisement for strong cheddar cheese. The little mouse is under the bar and he starts doing chin-ups with it. All right, so anyway, so just so anybody's going to complain about animal cruelty and why did I show that, all right, but this, did you feel it, the anticipation of like that was going to snap and, you know, like, it's, it's coming. You know it's coming. The bait is there, and the mouse is there. And Jesus is saying, stumbling blocks are coming. Watch out. Watch out for them. He says, offenses will certainly come. Stumbling blocks will come. But woe to the one they come through. It could be translated, it's simply unthinkable that you would allow yourself to dream that you could live this life without an opportunity to become offended. How many of you know it's easy to get offended? Yeah, it happens at least more than once in our life, right? The opportunities are there, and it's like the bait is there. The trap is set, and we're going up to it, and without realizing it, at some point, we're going to get snagged if we're not watching out. We're going to get snagged by offense. We also, 
without realizing it, are going to offend people. And we don't mean to do it. Many times we don't mean to do it. But we've actually been used to set that trap and set that bait that other people will get snapped. They'll get hooked on. And I'm telling you, it can influence your entire life. And this morning as we were worshiping, I started feeling rising up in me that the Lord wants to deliver some people. He wants to change your lives. There's a heaviness, it seems like, that's been sitting on some of us for a while. I don't know if you could feel it sometimes in the last few weeks as you come to church, a heaviness. And I believe that it may be that the root of that is offense. That maybe we're living with this offense, this trap. We've gotten snapped. We've gotten caught up in something that's hurt us. And it's kept us down. It's kept us way down. We've been like that little mouse that got trapped in there. This was, this was the word, if you looked in the Greek, this was the word, the little scandal and the little trap, the little wood thing in an animal trap, and it would cause you to stumble. As soon as that tripped, the animal would be shocked, and you're like, what's going on? I, I'm in this cage now. I didn't plan to be in a cage. Have you ever felt like that? Like something, circumstances caught you. You didn't expect. You didn't expect that you'd have to run from your country, did you, Divine? And all of a sudden, something offends, and you're like, what is going on? That could be a trap that could affect you the rest of your life if you don't forgive and let it go. Offenses come when you see, you hear, or experience a behavior that's different than what you expect. And so oftentimes the response initially is shock, and then it's disbelief, like, I can't believe this is happening. And then it moves into disappointment. And then if it settles in, it's offense. You took offense. And if it stays there, bitterness starts to um, develop in our hearts. It may not have been intentional at all, but maybe it was. Something happened or something happened to us. Or maybe we've offended someone else we didn't mean to. But something happened and it triggered something in them. And what it triggered may be something related to something further back in their lives where they got hurt, they got offended, and what we said just reminded them of that, right? We all can be offended. We all can be the source of offense. And so if we've hurt someone, even inadvertently, the Christian thing to do, what Jesus is saying is go right away. Go right away and apologize. You don't need to explain yourself. You don't need to defend yourself. You need to go and help in their healing process. Be a conduit of grace and help in their healing process. We don't want to cause little ones to stumble. We want to do everything we can to be a part of healing and restoration in people's lives. Baiting the trap. Who sets up this trap? Scripture tells us that our fight isn't against flesh and blood. It's against powers, principalities, forces of the dark world. We've got enemies, our flesh, our own flesh, that that isn't sanctified, it isn't being renewed, that part that isn't yet renewed in Christ, our personalities, can be a part of setting this trap. 
Maybe we're a hothead. We just have a tendency towards anger. Or maybe we're impatient. So maybe it's our flesh. Maybe it's the world and the culture around us. Dane said the other night, he said, it seems like the whole world is offended right now. Everybody's offended about something. Everybody's got their feelings hurt about something. And so culture can start to set the trap for us so that we start to pick up that sense of entitlement and that sense of offense. Have you noticed that? You watch the news, you watch TV, you see things on the Internet, and you start to recognize that there's this sense of offense. Like everybody's riled up about something, somebody, everybody's pointing blame at each other. Who really is setting the trap behind all of this? Anything that's not godly is part of the fall. It's part of the kingdom of darkness in some way, shape, or form. It's being tracked down to sin and the effects of sin in our lives. We do not want to participate in this. And so how is it that the Lord would help us? Well, it says, watch yourselves. Jesus says, watch yourselves. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, be on your guard. The English Standard Version translates it, pay attention to yourselves. And so as we're going on our day-to-day activities, are we watching out for this bait, this trap of taking offense? As we go to work, as we go out on the streets taking a walk, as we have a phone conversation, are we recognizing or are we getting tripped up in and walking right into a trap that's set for us? Lord, help us. Lord, help us watch for these things that we don't fall into this trap and take this bait that would cause offense in our lives. Now, Jesus goes on and he says, so this is about taking offense or being offended. If there is a problem, if there is a conflict, he says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. All right, so... What I don't want to do after this sermon is to have all of us starting to have heated conversations and rebuking each other. Because I want you to understand what that word rebuke means. It means solemnly warn or carefully instruct. Sometimes it's hard to confront. How many of you, you don't have to show a show of hands, but you would know in your heart that you tend to avoid confrontation, maybe to your own detriment. You avoid confrontation. But the Lord's saying, actually, the way to, if you see a trap set, if you have an offense, we need to go to the person. Just recently, I was talking to another church planter, And he was talking about someone in the congregation, the core team, in the core team. And they were ready. They had the logo. They had the publishing ready to um, really get the news out about the church. And this core team member was like, it's not good enough. We need to redo it. Had some perfectionistic tendencies. And so, you know, was slowing down progress on getting the word out. And then when it's time to shake hands and greet That person is standing there like looking down, not shaking hands with anybody, and then sneering 
and making scowling faces as he's preaching. Now, this is somebody that's supposed to be exuding love and welcoming people because this is just a new little church that wants to get started. And so what does that take? It takes recognizing it and needing to go and talk to the person to carefully instruct. But can you believe it, that that church planter was struggling with not really wanting to offend them by correcting or giving instruction? And so can you see how the, like this bait and how it, like we play off each other sometimes? And actually, who's winning? Who's winning if we're not addressing this and um, this is happening within a little church plant? Who's winning? Yeah, it's not the kingdom of light that's advancing right there. It's something that's coming against the kingdom of light. It's coming against love. And so we need to solemnly warn, carefully instruct. We remember God's character. So when we're talking to people about, you know, that really hurt my feelings. Anna, you haven't done anything to me. So I'm just using this as just a little example. But let's just say that I waved at you in the parking lot and you went like that. Like, I would need to say, hey, you know, when I was in the parking lot the other day, I waved to you and I just don't understand. I'm sure that you didn't mean to do that and I know you love me, but I don't understand why you just kind of went, you know, that, that didn't make me feel very loved. That would be very, very different than if I said, Anna, what's your deal? I, I just don't get it why you're doing like that, and um, I don't ever want to see that again because that really, really made me mad because I'm really nice to you, and why would you do that to me? Can you, see the, can you hear the difference? Can you hear the difference between solemnly, carefully instructing and giving the person the benefit of the doubt versus maybe that... That last, like, what do you think you're doing? Sounds like what you think of rebuke. Let me just tell you, that is not what Jesus is teaching us to do. He is not teaching us to be flippant, to be accusatory and condemning, but he's asking us to speak frankly and honestly and politely to each other. Now let's remember that Jesus had Peter give him the snub, right? Like he denied him three times. And Jesus didn't go to Peter and say, you really hurt my feelings when you denied me and I'm really angry with you. When he met him on the beach, what did he do? Hey, Peter, do you love me? And the assumed answer is yes. Yes. Hey, feed my sheep. Just redirect, instruct, reconcile, but not with a harsher or... um, accusatory tone three steps before confronting and I've got this on your handout for you so that you'll remember this the next time that you're wondering you know I'm I'm feeling hurt and I need to confront this or I believe I need to what should I do three steps make it a matter of prayer so take it to the Lord and ask him about this Lord would you give me insight about why I'm feeling this way Would you show me why I'm feeling hurt or why I'm feeling down or why I'm feeling kind of like all of a sudden up in arms about this situation? Because sometimes just in that, the Lord starts to show us, oh, actually, you just haven't gotten enough sleep. And so you're just kind of a little off today. And so maybe that's it and it's resolved. Or maybe the Lord shows you, yeah, there is 
there is some wrongdoing on your part or there's some wrongdoing on their part. So the Lord may give you insight about what this conflict was about, what this problem was about. Ask the Lord, do I need to confront? And if the Lord says you need to confront, well then, Lord, would you show me how? Would you give me guidance about when and where and how to do that? Because I can tell you, there are better times and there are worse times to confront people. Have any of you been so eager, like when you finally got your courage up that you're going to talk to the person, that you were completely oblivious, that there were lots of other people around and they were busy and this just wasn't a good time? I'm seeing some heads nodding. Yeah, so there's a good time and there's not a good time. Ask the Lord for some um, wisdom about that. And then I really appreciated what Dr. Renner suggested. He said, start thanking the Lord for that other person. Think about anything that's praiseworthy or that you can thank the Lord for and start to thank the Lord for that person because that in and of itself will start to help diffuse the anger that might be in your heart. Your attitude. Don't confront with a judgmental attitude. Assume that that person would not intend to hurt you. Scripture says love always trusts, and I've had to be reminded of that several times recently myself because you kind of... Don't always give people the benefit of the doubt, and you have to be reminded. And so don't come with a judgmental attitude. And when you do meet with them, assure them, just like I had talked to Anna. Anna, Anna, I'm, I'm sure you didn't mean to, to do that. I'm sure, because you're, we're friends. I'm sure that didn't, you didn't mean to do that. So giving them the benefit of the doubt. And then the purpose is learning to work together better. And so we're actually on the same team. This is talking about confronting people that are Christians. We're on the same team. And so this problem is a problem that we're both going to work together against rather than us working against each other. Can you hear the difference? Yeah. So this is a way that we can follow Jesus' instructions about rebuking. I found this quote, a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. I liked that. It doesn't say two good lovers. It's the happy union of two good forgivers. It's not two amazing people, because then we'd always be thinking, well, the grass is greener. Somebody else is more amazing than my spouse. No, it's actually two good forgivers. And so if there are people who know how to forgive, things will be happy and things will be holy. And so whether it's in a working relationship, you know, happy employees is where there's, you know, people that know how to forgive well. Happy friendships are where people know how to forgive well. And so happy churches are where we know how to forgive each other well. And we're watching out for that trap of offense the lord says to forgive and even if it happens seven times in one day to forgive to forgive means to set free to release to let it go to let go of our right to revenge or our sense of right to revenge because actually jesus is the judge we're not the judge and so what happens in letting them go is actually just releasing them to face Jesus as the judge for that situation. So if they've confessed it, they'll be forgiven. But if they haven't, they're going to have to answer for that. 
And so what it really does, and some of those quotes, I didn't put it up there, but we're the ones in the trap. When we get offended, Tommy, when we get offended, we're the ones that are trapped. We're stuck in this our whole lives until we forgive and we think it's going to be so hard, but actually that's what opens that door so that you and me and Ann and Kay and Ryan, we can come out of that trap. We don't have to live in this trap of like, I don't know what to do. I'm shocked. I'm hurt. I'm offended. Actually, when we forgive, it releases us. But the disciples immediately say and ask, increase our faith. And this is shocking. They've already been sent out. The 72 have been sent out. And they've healed people. And they've cast demons out of people. You would think they would be full of faith. But they're saying, oh man, this is going to be hard. This is going to be hard to forgive. And especially to keep forgiving and forgiving. And we think about that beggar and we think about that man in the purple clothing. And how many times did that beggar probably have to forgive? Because that guy walked by every day with his beautiful clothing on. He could have taken his jacket and wrapped around those wounds. He had to keep forgiving. But where did he end up? He ended up in this beautiful place with a big chasm between himself and those that would be self-righteous and try to take care of their own needs. So they say, increase our faith. And Jesus says, you don't need an increase of faith. You just need a teeny tiny little seed of faith. But it needs to be deep in a trust of God. And so then he uses this, this illustration of a, our, our Bible's NIV says mulberry tree. It's a sakaiman tree. They look the same, but the sakaiman tree is actually coming from that Greek word, and it has bitter, bitter fruit. And there's some similarities here. So when he starts talking about throwing this tree into the sea, uprooting it and throwing it into the sea, he wants, we don't understand it. The people right there that he was talking to fully understood it because it was like a lilac bush or a hosta or something that had a deep, deep root system that was really, really hard to dig up. It was, I want you to listen for some of the similarities between the tree and unforgiveness. It was very common. The wood of that tree was the preferred wood for building caskets. So when people saw that tree, they thought about death. They thought about caskets. When they saw that tree, they would know that it grows very, very large, and it can be completely neglected and just keep thriving. It didn't need much water. It didn't need much care to grow. And I want to say, can you see how unforgiveness, it can grow deep, and these deep roots in us, and where we can be neglecting our walk with God, we may not be being watered at the watering hole of his love and his word. And that thing is just growing in us. Unforgiveness and bitterness is just growing deep, deep, deep. Crazy root system deep down. You can see the roots of that. The fruit that it produced was beautiful. It looked like the mulberry tree, but it was bitter. It was like bitter figs. And only the poor people ate it, 
and they would chew just a little bit on a time. They'd bite it off, and they'd chew on it for a while, and then they'd go back and get another little bite because they wanted something. They'd chew on something bitter. Have you ever heard on chewing your cud? You're just rehashing this thing over and over. My dad was too strict on me, and I just can't let it go, and I just keep going over and over and over the same story. And I'm 20 years old, and I'm 30 years old, and I'm 40 years old, and I'm still rebelling against authority, and I get mad when somebody tells me what to do. And why would I do that? I'm chewing on this thing. I'm chewing on a bitter fruit coming off this tree. Yeah, there's a resemblance here. He wants us to understand this. The way this tree developed fruit, it could not pollinate except that it would be stung by a wasp. And that's how the fruit would cross-pollinate. It would have to get stung. The fruit would have to get stung by a wasp right into the heart of the fruit, and that's how it would cross-pollinate. That's how more fruit would come. We got stung. Have you heard? I got burned. We say that sometimes. Similarities. Jesus is saying offense and bitterness is like this tree. And you can tell it to be uprooted, to pull it up by the roots, which everybody would say that's impossible because the more you try to cut this thing down, even if you cut it to the ground, if you don't go to the roots and get it all out, it just sends out more shoots. It's just coming up somewhere else. And so we think, well, I've forgiven, I've forgiven that one employee that said that, and I've forgiven my sister for what she did. But then there's this other friend, and they offended me too. Like, you know, it's like the same theme over and over and over in your life. You've got to get the roots. And Jesus is saying you can speak. If you just have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say be uprooted and thrown into the sea. Be planted into the sea. Now, why would he say put it into the sea? Well, it was salt water that would kill the roots, and that thing would finally be dead. Jesus wants a fence taken out of our lives, just like these deep roots of this tree. He wants to have us speak to this, to take authority over our emotions and say, this is what Jesus has said. I need to forgive. I choose to forgive. And now, in Jesus' name, unforgiveness and bitterness be gone. Be gone from me in Jesus' name. Who? It's a divine passive. Who is uprooting? You can say, be uprooted. It's God. God is the active one who's uprooting this out of our lives. And Jesus is saying, this is possible. This trap this thing that has trapped you even your whole life, I'm even speaking to the back of the room right now and saying, Jesus is saying, you can be done with this. This can be done today. Offense, bitterness, be gone. Jesus is ready to deliver you. He is ready to change you. Depression, sometimes we live in this depressed state. Not all depression is like that, but some depression comes from feeling stuck and feeling trapped for years and years. And the Lord says, tell this thing to be uprooted out of your life and be thrown into the sea. And then it goes into this 
talk about the servants. Who wants to be a servant? They didn't like it back in Jesus' day any more than we like the idea of slaves or slavery. What is this about? He's saying there are things that need to be done, and it's only our duty. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. What in the world is this about, and how does this fit with offense? Well, he's saying, if you just go to the point of recognizing that there are traps, it's not going to be completed. If you go to the point of confronting and say, you know, correcting and saying, you offended me, Natalie, that hurt me, or Caroline, I hurt you. I wasn't very sensitive. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? If we just stop there, but we don't get to the roots of the matter, then it's not completed. Our day's duties aren't completed. If we just stop there, it wouldn't be done. We need to make sure that those roots, any bitter roots of offense, are out of our lives so that our day's duty is done and we can sit down and enjoy the meal now because our work is completed. Jesus' instructions, expect the traps in your lives, be watching out like a lifeguard for them. Rebuke, lovingly, solemnly teach people, forgive completely, all the way up seven times, a complete number, send unforgiveness away, serve the Lord faithfully. Serve the Lord faithfully. And I want us to think about Jesus. If we don't like being servants, let's think about the one who was king of kings and came to serve us. And what if he had just stopped with a few healings and deliverances and waited for praise? Our sins wouldn't be forgiven. What if he had stopped and maybe he, he washed the feet of the disciples, right, at the Last Supper? But what if he stopped there? and didn't finish out his duties of his father that he had sent him. He wouldn't have gone to the cross and paid for our sins. He went all the way. And he's saying, this is what love does. This is what love does, is love goes all the way. Forgiveness is the final form of love. And he empowers us. And he makes us ones who reflect him in the world so that there's these demonstrations over and over and over again of the love of God that would come to seek out and save those who were lost and broken. He forgives. He sets free. He releases. He brings joy and the hope of eternal life, just like that poor beggar. We're those poor beggars that have that hope of eternal joy. He invites us, don't stop. Don't stop part way. Be ones that would say, this is just my duty. And the reason that we know that it's not going to be like a downer to be a slave is because we have this picture of the new creation the new heavens, the new earth, the feast that's prepared for us.
And the Lord is saying, examine your hearts, watch out for offense, and let love come to completion in your lives for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would be magnified and glorified in our lives. Lord, that you would point out any way in us where we've been trapped or snagged or if we're in process but we haven't seen it to its completion. Lord, would you be present today to heal, to deliver, to reconcile, to restore, to help us to receive forgiveness or extend forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.